You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Bex. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's April 12th. National conversations about Medicare for All are becoming more and more common. Some proposals being discussed in Congress would guarantee health care coverage for all Americans, including long-term care, and eliminate cost-sharing, like copays and deductibles. The New York Times recently asked RAND researchers and other experts to estimate how a national single-payer health care plan could affect spending. We estimate that total national health spending would be $3.89 trillion in 2019, assuming such a plan was in place for the whole year. This would be an increase of 1.8% compared to the status quo. This is a relatively small change. However, federal health care spending would increase substantially, rising from $1.09 trillion to an estimated $3.5 trillion, an increase of 221%. These estimates are based on many nuanced assumptions, and also bound by several limitations. We address all of these in some detail in our report. So if you're interested in exploring these to better understand the full context, make sure to check out the full report on RAND.org. Research confirms that effective school leadership is associated with better outcomes. A high-quality principal affects dozens of teachers and hundreds or even thousands of students. In other words, principals play an extremely important role. From 2011 to 2016, the Wallace Foundation helped six large urban school districts across the U.S. implement principal pipelines. This term describes a strategic approach to hiring, preparing, evaluating, and supporting school leaders. RAND researchers evaluated this initiative and found that building principal pipelines works. It's a feasible, affordable, and effective way to improve schools. Specifically, the strategy boosted student achievement in both reading and math, with lower-performing schools seeing especially significant benefits. There were also improvements in retention. New principals in districts with principal pipelines were 7.8 percentage points more likely to stay in their jobs for at least three years than new principals in comparison schools. With regard to costs, the school districts spent about $42 per student per year to operate and enhance their principal pipelines. This amounted to less than half a percent of their yearly budget. These findings have important implications for school districts that are trying to improve student achievement. Using principal pipelines can be an effective way to achieve that goal, especially for the students who may need help the most. RAND researchers recently conducted a unique experiment to find out whether graphic warning labels can stop smokers from buying cigarettes. They used a 1,500-square-foot replica of a convenience store, just like one you'd see anywhere in America. The store stocks more than 650 items, including cigarettes. Those who participated in the study shopped in the convenience store under two sets of conditions. Half the shoppers saw cigarette packages with graphic health warnings, like an image of a diseased lung along with the words, cigarettes cause fatal lung disease. The other half saw more typical, tamer warnings that used only words, no graphic images. So, how did the shoppers respond? Notably, how effective the graphic warning labels were depended on how addicted a smoker was. Smokers with lower nicotine dependence were less likely to purchase cigarettes with graphic labels, but those with a heavy nicotine dependence were not deterred. 
This is significant because less dependent smokers, often light or intermittent smokers, are a large and growing segment of tobacco users, and they're often younger people. So, graphic warning labels may be one way to prevent this group from becoming long-term users of cigarettes. Last month, ISIS was driven from its final patch of territory in Syria. Obviously, this was great news. But according to Rand's Howard Schatz, there's an even bigger challenge ahead, ending Syria's civil war and rebuilding the country. To accomplish these goals, Syria needs a reconstruction that, quote, knits the country together. Syria must become a state that can provide safety, security, and opportunity for millions of displaced people. And it must be able to prevent further rebellion and devastation. Ideally, Syrians would rebuild with the help of multilateral assistance, bilateral assistance, and private sector participation from wealthy Western countries. But there are several complicating factors. The biggest may be President Bashar al-Assad. As long as Assad is in control, a stable peace and successful reconstruction seems unlikely, says Schatz. Quote, Instead, Syrians will see the kind of strict internal security measures that triggered revolts in the first place, providing fuel for more unrest, and a security challenge to the region for years to come. Since 2013, only one full week has passed in the United States without a mass shooting. That is, a shooting in which four or more people are shot. The trauma of these violent incidents can be far-reaching. Last month, for example, two survivors of the massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School died by suicide. Shortly thereafter, the father of a victim of the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary shooting also took his own life. According to RAND experts, these tragedies shine a light on the great need for mental health support and suicide prevention programs focused on survivors of mass shootings. Initial screening and counseling, both of which are common after a shooting, are critical, but they aren't sufficient. Fortunately, there are proven treatments for the types of problems that people commonly experience after exposure to trauma. In addition to medication, short-term talk therapy can help people cope, change unhelpful ways of thinking or acting, and improve emotional regulation. This can help reduce post-traumatic stress symptoms, anxiety, and depression. More could also be done to create safe environments that make it harder for people to die by suicide. Putting extreme protection orders in place is one option. This would allow family members or police to petition for temporary removal of firearms from at-risk individuals. Efforts like these could go a long way to helping people heal after a mass shooting and preventing future tragedy. According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, more than 130 Americans die every day after overdosing on opioids. The popular medical drama Grey's Anatomy has been exploring this issue during its current season. How closely does the show resemble reality? According to RAND experts, pretty closely, at least for the narrow slice of the opioid crisis it covers. In one episode, viewers see a wide range of characters who are struggling with opioid misuse. A young man, a homeless youth, a middle-class stay-at-home mom. Just like in the real world, the opioid crisis knows no boundaries. In another episode, two doctors attend a medical conference. One gives a presentation about prescribing opioids. The other is a recovering addict. A scenario plays out that represents real-world tensions across the medical and public health communities about whether opioids should be prescribed, and if so, how. 
Gray's Anatomy certainly doesn't have the answers to solving the largest drug crisis in U.S. history, but the show has been successful in delivering a simple and powerful message about the pain-killing power of opioids and the importance of putting clear prescribing guidelines into practice. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. See you next week. Thank you.